Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Tuesday, I was uh, reading the news, and uh, I had to laugh at, at one story. A highway patrolman in Utah noticed a, a car on the freeway that was driving really slowly, uh, about 30 miles per hour, uh, with a speed limit of 70 miles per hour, and the car was swerving so much that the patrolman assumed the driver was either drunk or had uh, need of medical help. And so he turned on his light. Nothing happened. The car kept going. And uh, so he turned on his siren. And, and then the car pulled over slowly uh, to the side of the road. Highway patrolman got out, approached the car. And when he reached the car, he realized that there was a young boy driving the car. And uh, all the way up front of his seat so that his foot could reach the brake pedal. And so the patrolman asked the boy, how old are you? And he said, five years old. And he said, and I'm driving to California to buy me a Lamborghini. And then the highway patrolman later that day said he might have been a little short of the purchase price. He only had $3 in his wallet. I had a couple of thoughts after I read that news story. One was, man, that five-year-old kid's got high aspirations for his life. A lot higher than I had as a five-year-old. The other thing I thought was that was stupid. And not just stupid, that was uncommonly stupid. You know, during these weeks that have now turned into months of quarantine, there's been a lot of uncommonly stupid and uncommonly bad behavior. I mean, you see it on the news uh, almost every day. Uh, one of the most extreme examples is, uh, sadly, the uh, family dollar security guard that was shot to death because he asked a, a woman to wear a face mask in, in the store. But let's just kind of set aside all of that, all the news stories and the extreme examples of uncommonly bad behavior. And, and let me just ask you, what has this time of quarantine brought out in you. I was on the Gospel Coalition website a couple of days ago, and the headline article, the, the main article on the homepage was 10 Keys to Handling Marital Conflict During Quarantine. I was catching up with a friend uh, a couple of days ago as well, and this friend I have known for decades. He is uh, one of the most patient people I have ever met, maybe the most patient person I have ever known. And he said, Mike, my patience is gone. I have nothing left, zero. Everything gets on my nerves. And uh, as he said that, I thought, gosh, I, I have felt the same way uh, a lot recently. You know, trials bring these kinds of things out in us. And yet, what we're going to see in Peter is that even during trials, followers of Christ are, are called to live uncommonly good lives. Now, remember, Peter is writing to followers of Christ spread throughout much of the Roman Empire where persecution has begun. And so uh, they're either experiencing persecution or living under the daily threat that they could be persecuted. There's a lot of fear. That's a significant trial. And, and so the, the point then, I think, as we 
get ready to read God's word is that if Peter can call them in the midst of persecution uh, to live uncommonly good lives, uh, there's hope for us to be able to do that as well in the trial that we're going through right now. Let's take a look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 8. Remember, this is God's Word. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, we uh, have to confess as we look at what you're calling us to in First Peter that we do not have the ability to live this way, and so we need your help. These are your commands. These are the ways you have chosen for us to live, even in the midst of this trial. And so we look to you to enable us to do that. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to try to get at what uh, Peter is saying, or at least part of what he's saying here, uh, by asking two questions of the text. Uh, The first being, how are we to live? And secondly, how is it possible to live that way? So let's just start uh, with the first question, how are we to live? Now, just before the verses that we're looking at this morning, Peter has been very clear about how we as followers of Christ are to live with respect to our governing authorities that God has established. And then after that, he has told those of us who are married how we are to live in marriage. But now he gives instructions for all followers of Christ. Beginning in verse 8, he gives us five terms that describe the way you and I are to live. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. 
Now let me just stop there and, and help us see. This does not mean that you and I are always going to agree on every single thing. That would be impossible. But this unity of mind has more to do with being united with each other in common concern for each other's concerns. That's the kind of unity that is expressed here, uh, that is called for. Uh, then uh, we are to have sympathy. We, we are to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And then brotherly love. You know, there is to be a, a family-like love for each other in Christ because uh, we are all children of the same heavenly Father. We're to have a tender heart. Now, this has to do with our feelings. Yes, the, the Bible does address our feelings. We are to be good-hearted towards each other. We, we're to have compassion for each other. And then finally, a humble mind. There is to be amongst us a, a willingness uh, to put the interests, to put the needs of others before us at times. Now, I don't expect you to remember all of that. That's a lot. So let me sum it up in this way. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ so much that the suffering of one becomes the suffering of the other. One of the most moving places in all of Scripture uh, to me is uh, Isaiah 63, 9. There we see a, a prophecy about the coming Savior. And we get a bit uh, of understanding of who he is and what he goes through. There we're told that in all their affliction, he was afflicted. In other words, uh, there is a real sense uh, in which Jesus goes through the afflictions that we go through. As we go through trials, he experiences with us because he is connected to us. We are united to Christ in all their affliction. He was afflicted. Now, that's the way that you and I are to live with each other. And that's difficult. That's very challenging. But we need to remember that you and I have not been called to an easy life. In the remaining verses, the life that we're called to uh, gets even more difficult. Uh, we're told to turn away from all forms of evil, not to speak evil, not to do evil. All forms of evil. And then we're told when someone treats us in an evil way, causes us harm, slanders us, whatever it may be, we cannot turn around and repay them with evil. Instead, we are to turn around and bless them. See, that's the way Christians get even. When someone treats us poorly, we are to respond by treating them really well. And, as Peter goes on to say, we're to give them a reason for the hope that is in us. And we're to do it with gentleness and respect. This kind of uh, life is what one person has labeled 
uncommonly good. Now, think about it this way. There are the uncommonly bad people in the world. Uh, Think of Bernie Madoff bilking $50 billion from his investors. Think of Charles Manson and his killing spree. And it might be tempting to us to compare ourselves to the uncommonly bad people in the world and think, well, gosh, we're, we're doing okay. We're living a pretty good life. God will not allow you to do that. His standards for you and for me are so much greater. So there are the uncommonly bad people, and then there are the commonly good people. Not uncommonly good, but commonly good people. You know, think of, uh, of many of your neighbors. Many of them are, are, are pretty good people. You know, they love their children. They work hard. They do projects to, to feed the poor, and, and they, you know, want the world to be a, a good place. It might be tempting, again, to, to compare ourselves to our neighbors who are pretty good people and say, well, I'm a pretty good person, and that's okay. That's not okay. God's standard for you and for me is His Word. As citizens of God's kingdom, Uh, We are to live uncommonly good lives. We're to live like we've just seen in this passage. We're to live like we see throughout Scripture uh, in in ways that stand out uh, from uh, those around us. You know, if you go back to the first Christians after Pentecost, there was something uncommonly good about them. They were described as praising God and having favor with all the people. And then look what happened as a result. Every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Now they hadn't taken a course on evangelism. But the natural or supernatural overflow of their lives so reflected the beautiful character of God that the people around them wanted to know the God that they knew. That's what it meant uh, for them to have favor among the people. There was something uncommonly good and beautifully attractive about them. Peter calls us here to live this kind of uncommonly good life so that others may come to know our God. And we've just seen a, a beautiful example of that. Now keep that in mind and contrast it with this example. A couple of years ago, I was at uh, the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove uh, in Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, met Ed Stetzer there. Uh, Ed Stetzer, if you know that name, is the executive director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton, and uh, he really is a delightful Christian thinker and leader. Now, if you were to go into Ed Stetzer's office, you would see all kind of mementos and and fun, interesting things that uh, people in his churches have given him, students have given him. Uh, There's the five-foot tall Pez dispenser with his head on top uh, that Vacation Bible School children gave him. But there's one item that draws a lot more reaction than any other item. It is his nameplate that sits on his desk. And the reason it draws so much reaction is because 
It doesn't say Dr. Ed Stetzer. Instead, it says lying, whore, false prophet. That came from Westboro Baptist Church. Now, you may know that church. Let me just say right away, it is not affiliated with any Baptist denomination. It is a, an independent organization. It is known for its many protests and its heinous slogan, God hates fags. Years ago, this so-called church picketed Ed Stetzer's church because Ed was proclaiming the good news of the gospel that God loves all people, loves all kinds of people, and, and describing, of course, the kinds of people you see Jesus spending a lot of time with in the gospels, people who were kind of considered notorious sinners. Well, Westboro Baptist Church didn't agree with that, uh, of course, and so they began to refer to Ed Stetzer as lying whore, false prophet. Well, one of uh, Ed's staff thought that was so funny that she took that slogan and put it on a nameplate and put it on Ed's desk. And it remains there to this day. Ed keeps it there because he wants to be reminded and he wants everybody who comes into his office to be reminded that you cannot hate a people and reach a people at the same time. You and I are called by God to live uncommonly good lives. And that is the case with those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is the case with outsiders, so to speak, those who have not yet come to know Christ, those who might even slander us or cause us harm. That's how we're to live. And if you're being honest with yourself right now, you're wondering, how in the world is it possible to live that way? And that, that's our second question. That's where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. So how is it possible to live that way? Well, our example, of course, is Jesus Christ. In John 13, 34, Jesus gave to his disciples a, a commandment. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And here in this passage, in verse 18, just after Peter tells us that we are to be willing to suffer for the unrighteous, uh, he says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so we pattern our lives after Christ's life. But still, we need to ask the question, how is it possible to do that? He has set a very, very high bar for us. Well, I want to answer that question in this way. The more you experience the tender heart of Christ for you, the more you are able to express that same tender heart to others. I love the way one of my former 
students, Dane Ortland has expressed this same idea in his book, Gentle and Lonely. This is what he said. Only, only as we walk ever deeper into this tender kindness can we live the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to. Only, only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake Everywhere we go, the aroma of heaven. Here's the, the, the point. It is not enough for you and for me to know that Christ is the example for our lives. We need to know his heart for us. There's a place in the Gospels where Jesus tells us about his heart. Matthew 11, verse 29. There he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's who he is. And so when Jesus calls us to be gentle in this passage towards those who don't yet know Christ and lowly in heart or humble towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, what he's really saying is, look, that's my heart for you. Embrace that. Experience that. Grow in your appreciation of that. And you will become much more able to extend that same tender kindness, tenderheartedness, gentleness to others. So let's make this real. Let's consider one example of Christ's heart towards us. Now, let me ask you a, a question. What do you think Christ's heart is to you, is toward you, uh, when you've blown it again really badly? Is he disappointed in you? Is his patience wearing thin with you? Has he grown tired of you? No. Jesus is still gentle towards you because that's who he is. He is never, ever trigger happy. Jesus Christ is the most understanding person in the universe. What's more, when you come to him for help, after you've blown it, it brings him joy. Remember from Hebrews 12, verse 2, for the joy that was set before him Jesus endured the cross. Now, what was that joy? It was you, a forgiven, pardoned, comforted you. Think about it like this. Our son, Wesley, is an orthopedic surgeon. But when he was a kid, he was probably the most squeamish of our three children when it came to seeing blood. But now, when he sees blood... It brings him joy 
because it means someone has come to him for help and for healing. Someone has come to him to help put their broken body back together. And that, quite frankly, is one of the things that Wesley lives for. It's, it's the reason that he was willing to go through four years of med school and five years of residency. He longs, and I, and I mean this with all sincerity, he longs to fix what is broken in people. It's what gets him out of bed in the morning. And that really is, uh, in a true sense, the same with our Savior. If I could put it this way, what gets him out of bed in the morning is his longing to fix what is broken in us. Why do you think he was willing to be broken on the cross? To be able to fix what is broken in you. He is not, he is not disappointed with you when you've blown it again and come to him for healing. That is what brings him joy. That you have come to him for help. Peter calls us in this passage to live an uncommonly good life. We'll be able to do that more and more as we embrace ever more deeply the uncommon goodness of our Savior towards us. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you that you do indeed love us so much that you sent your Son into this world to save us. And Jesus, thank you that when we have blown it over and over again, as we turn to you, you are not disappointed in us, exasperated with us, but instead it fills you with joy that we have turned to you for help. Oh, Father, enable us to live like your son. Enable us to embrace the uncommon goodness of Jesus that we might extend it to others. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.